Well, this morning, we want to see the importance of taking the long view. As we come to this part of the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord addresses the importance of gaining perspective, and He began to hint at it in the first part of the sixth chapter, where He kept reinforcing the idea that we don't do what we do for the praise of men now, we have a reward that we're waiting for. And he was applying it to worshiping God and to service. And as we come to verse 19, he expands that to the perspective that we take on material things. You know, one of the most healthy things that I've done in gaining perspective is traveling to a third world country. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to go to two within one year. And as I looked at the standard of living, and I looked at the responses of the Christian community to those standards of living, it really spoke to me. What really stood out to me was Kenya, where a ministry had started Christian schools, and the person who served as the principal of the Christian school also served as the pastor of the church. The churches were tin buildings with dirt floors, and they were opulent compared to where the pastor lived. When you went into their residence, it was a dirt floor, sticks, and literally sticks for walls with mud thrown in, burlap with pop bottle tops and a nail through it consisted of the roof or the ceiling, and then thatch on top of that. And as I went in, they smiled from ear to ear. They were delighted to do the Lord's work. No complaint about conditions. They were rejoicing because they knew their reward awaits. And man, did that speak to me. We live in an affluent society And it's so easy for us to join the pity party. I don't have as much as somebody else. And we whine about it. In Kenya, the annual salary was less than a weekly salary that most of you make, even if you're poor. It was amazing, their perspective and how they look to eternal things. So that's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to talk about the treasure that we reach for. What are the things that captivate our values, our decisions, our outlook? What are the things that we view as truly important in our lives? And when we come to this text, we find the Lord saying right out of the gate, uh, the topic thought for this entire section that we'll be looking into this morning, and it's very simply this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. You see, in verse 19, the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to understand that the immediate, looking to the seen rather than the unseen, the material things that so captivate our thoughts and our values, are not worthy of the disciple laying up for themselves. I love the way this is framed. Do not lay up for yourselves. It's self-centered. It's looking 
to us. And it's saying that becomes our security, our focal point. The way that we look at these things are going to determine the decisions that we make, the way that we behave, the things that we value. All of those things are affected by this goal of laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. These seen things so often take priority in our lives and become our focal point. And what we forget is this. One crash in the stock market, one disease that comes along unexpectedly, and all of those things that we've laid up for ourselves and that we've treasured can be gone in an instant. That's why it's foolish to focus on these things. And listen, even good, solid, spiritual people can lose perspective. There's the tragic story of Demas that we find in Scripture. In Philemon and Colossians, Demas is mentioned as a fellow worker, a co-laborer with the Apostle Paul. He's upheld as a leader in the church of Colossae. And then by the time the Apostle Paul writes his final letter in 2 Timothy, he has this to say about Demas. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. The potential to lose perspective is one that all of us can fall into. And what we forget is this. This world is temporary. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews reminds us of this. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Now look at verse 11. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. And then look at this. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. Isn't that a great perspective? No matter what I achieve, what I build in this life and in this earth. And by the way, the Scripture isn't saying that we shouldn't have goals and that we shouldn't be responsible in the way that we manage our money and that we shouldn't set aside things in the way of saving. Proverbs brings that out quite clearly. But when we lose perspective and that becomes our security to where it replaces God, then we're in trouble. Even if we manage to accumulate for ourselves treasures on earth, look at the next part of the 19th verse and it really gives us perspective. Where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. You can lose the things that you've accumulated so quickly and so easily because it's material. The new car that you go out and kind of take your sleeve and rub the fender every time you go out to jump in it, and it's nice to have a new car, it's wonderful. One accident, and boom, it's gone. A few years in northern Illinois through the winter, we all know what's ha what happens. Rust, right? We've had some infestations 
throughout our past of moths, those little pesky millinery moths that can get in your cabinets that drive you nuts, and we can lose groceries as a result of those rotten little moths. So many ways we can lose what we have, but here's the thing. Even if I keep what I have, eventually, I'm not going to last. I'm going to die. And as it's been observed, there are no U-Hauls behind hearses. I can't take it with me. You can ask the pharaohs of Egypt. They tried, right? They built those tombs and moved all of their riches into it only to have thieves or archaeologists come in and remove it all. So, storing up for ourselves treasures on this earth is a strategy that's doomed to fail. It will never provide all that we need. No, rather than storing up these treasures for ourselves here on earth, look at what the text goes on to say in verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. You know, there was a show, and I'm dating myself, okay, probably everybody my age and older will know the show. Um, it, it was the Art Link Letter show. I'm seeing some smiles on the older faces. But uh, the, the, this was a, a television show that kind of the theme of it was kids say the darndest things, and they would get these kids to say really weird things, and they didn't have to prompt them much to say them. But one of the shows I remember as a kid, these five-year-olds were marched out, stood in a line, and Art Linkletter walks out with dollar bills in his hand. And he shows them, and he says, hey, if I give you a dollar right now, you can have it, or you can wait till the end of the show, and you'll get a crisp, clean $20 bill. So these kids look at it, and guess which one they took? Dollar now. You see, because of their immaturity and their impatience, they weren't about to wait until the end of the show where they would get the 20. They wanted that bird in the hand rather than two in the bush. And so they weren't going to bite. The parents are in the background, ah, oh, you know. And by the way, back then, 20 bucks actually went somewhere. And, you know, as I thought about that show, I thought about how short-sighted those kids were because of immaturity and lack of experience. But I think that has spiritual application as well, doesn't it? Isn't it easy for us to lose perspective as well and to grab the immediate rather than waiting for the long term? This is what Jesus is talking about in this passage. I need to focus on the treasures in heaven. And what does He mean by treasures in heaven? Well, heaven is the abode of God. And the treasures are the rewards that we receive, the presence of God, all of those wonderful things that are a part of the dwelling place of God, that needs to be my focal point. I need to value the things that God values. That's really the upshot of what Jesus is talking about in this passage. And that needs to influence my day-to-day -day decisions, my values 
All of those things need to be tied up in valuing the things that God values. That's storing up our treasure in heaven. When we look at this and we hear from God, job well done, that's an eternal thing because it was spoken by an eternal being. When I lead somebody to Christ, I'm used of God to bring the message of grace and truth into the life of another person. I have accomplished an eternal thing. It lasts and it matters. When I disciple someone and teach them what it is to walk with God and to grow in their relationship with Him so that they can reproduce and train others, I've accomplished an eternal thing. Those are the things God values, and those are the things that we ought to value as well. Paul wrote to the Colossians the following, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For if you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. That's the perspective that we need to embrace. And that brings us to our next point. We reveal our hearts by the treasures we pursue. Jesus states it very simply in verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I want you to think about what Jesus is saying when he tells us that we reveal our hearts by the treasure that we pursue. When we look at the heart, and I'm going to read a definition of the heart that I found in a commentary that I thought is very helpful. It's this, the heart in Scripture is the center of the personality. It directs our intellect, our emotion, and will. So here's the idea. The things that I think about, feel passionate about, and make choices in light of, that's where my treasure is. What drives your decision making? What are the things that you truly feel passionate about? What are the things that captivate your thinking? Is it a hobby? Is it the big game that's coming up? Is it the stock market? Is it a new toy? Whether you're a kid or an adult, we all like new toys. What are the things that I invest my time in? My energy? My security? Those are the things that indicate my heart. And they share with us so clearly that the things that I value, where my treasure is, indicate where my heart is. This is a call to make God the center of our thought processes and our heart. But then we come to verse 22. And the text moves on. And in this paragraph, Jesus really keys in on a reality. And here's the reality of it. We can't live as double-minded people. So some people will look at this and say, hey, you know what? I can invest in the sacred things of God, but I can also invest in the secular. And I can do them both at the same time, and I can juggle them. And I can have 
this set of priorities sometimes and this set of priorities at other times. And what Jesus really shares with us in this text is this. My spiritual life should inform all of life. My life isn't compartmentalized to where I have some spiritual things and some secular things. And given the moment, it depends on which I'm focusing on in the moment, but I can do both. Jesus is saying no. And he begins this discussion by talking about the eye. And he shares with us that the right path is found by walking in the light. Look at what he says in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Now here Jesus is giving us an illustration. And he's not saying that people with good vision are better followers than people with poor vision. Okay? Not what he's talking about, of course. The idea is this. The eye is what brings the light, the things that we can see from this world, into focus. And the things that I look toward are clarified by light. You go into a dark room, and by the way, I notice as I'm getting older and older, uh, small print requires a great deal of light. I can't, I go in a restaurant, and they have the lights turned down, and I'm like, come on. You know, why is it that the prices are always the part that are so hidden, right? We need light in order to see. And, and here's the idea. Light in Scripture represents God. Again and again and again, we find that paradigm, that picture that God is light. Why? Because God is revelatory. He brings into perspective His creation and evil and everything that is around us. So what Jesus is saying to us is this, look, if your eye is focused on the light, your whole body is going to be delivered as well. So here's the idea. If I look to the things of God and I trust in the things of God, that window into my body, the eye, will go down the right path. Think about this. In the first century, no streetlights, darkness. A lamp was required. Or you could walk into a fall. You could happen upon a serpent or a snake. Any number of things that, that are dangerous. At night, in the darkness, you needed that lamp. As a matter of fact, the psalmist even says this. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This imagery, I think, is what Jesus is talking about here when he talks about the eye being a lamp to the body. And here's the idea. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. In other words, if my eye is focused on the good things, the right things, the things of God, then my whole body will follow. Our actions follow the things that we look at the things that we focus on. When you drive down the road and you see something amazing off to the side and you get distracted, do any of you ever steer toward it because you're looking at it? I know I do sometimes. And catastrophe could follow. Your body follows your eye. And so what Jesus is telling us in this passage is this. Let your eye be guided by the light 
of God's truth. But then he goes on in verse 23 to say this, rejecting the light leads to greater darkness. Look at verse 23, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Again, this idea that God represents light, sin and wickedness, the absence of God, is often represented by darkness. And we need to understand that we can't walk in both at the same time. Lightness dispels darkness. John tells us this, if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If I have an eye that is focused on darkness, incapable of functioning properly because it's in darkness, I have a problem. You know, when I was a kid, probably about a high school, latter part of high school, first part of college, I lived about 45 miles from Carter Caves. Carter Caves was awesome. You could go to the state park in Kentucky, and you could explore the caves. Back then, you didn't have to even check in at the office, but after a few deaths, they decided that's probably not a good idea. So we would take flashlights and we would go exploring the caves. And I noticed as you're walking away from the opening of the cave and moving in to the darkness, you could feel the darkness no matter how powerful your flashlight was. Turn off the flashlight and boom, you could hold your hand on your nose and not see anything. It was that dark. And here's the idea. As you descend into darkness, the darkness becomes greater. This is what Jesus is saying here. If I am looking at the wrong things, if I am focusing on the wrong things, I'm going to move toward a greater and greater darkness. And here's the thing about the caves. One of the guides, I finally found a guide and went with a guide, shared with us that you can actually lose your ability to see if you are in the darkness too long. If you are in absolute darkness too long, it ruins your ability to see. And I think that is true of us spiritually as well. We lose perspective. We lose sight as we dabble in darkness, those things that are contrary to God. And contextually... What Jesus is talking about in this passage is this. He's talking about money. I don't think he has shifted themes yet. I think he's continuing the thought process. And so here's the idea. I look to God. That is the light. Or I can look to darkness, the things that money can lead me into if I don't view my money correctly. Understand this. There is nothing wrong with money or material things in and of themselves. As a matter of fact, you can use money to do some wonderful things and bless people in some wonderful ways. I've seen people through their generosity help people through rough patches. I, I, I see in Scripture where the Apostle Paul called on the church to raise money to help other churches that were under persecution. 
So money can be a great blessing. And it can bring about wonderful things. The sacrificial giving that you do as a church body allows our church to continue ministry. That's a good thing. But money can also be something that causes us to lose perspective. As a matter of fact, we find, and I think I have skipped a verse or two here. Sorry about that. This is where we should be. I got all carried away talking about the other things. We are required to make a choice about money, and that's still not where I am. Listen, I did my slides on the run, (laughs) so I think I skipped one. But here's the passage I want us to think about, and that is 1 John, or excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. It reminds us of something that's very important. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. God wants us to have that perspective. He wants us to be people who follow in His truth. Now, verse 24. Verse 24 tells us something very important. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Remember moments ago I was talking about the idea of compartmentalizing our lives. Jesus is telling us that is an impossibility. And I want you to think about why. When we look at the illustration Jesus uses in this 24th verse, it's the illustration of slavery. Really, when we say no one can serve two masters, serve is kind of a softening of the word that's used in the original language. And the idea is no one can be enslaved by two masters. Now, the Bible isn't necessarily condoning slavery as it pictures this for us, but what it is doing is this, giving us an illustration that the people of the first century would have understand, perf- would, would understand perfectly. So what it's sharing with us is this. You can't have a master that you are totally committed to, that you obey, and then have another master that you're totally committed to and that you obey. It's an impossibility. You're going to have to make a decision at certain points, especially if the two masters have diametrically opposed viewpoints. What one forbids, the other one commands. So trying to serve these two masters is, again, an impossibility. It can't happen. And so what Jesus is calling us for in this passage is a choice. What master will you follow? Will it be God, who is our Lord, our master, the one who created us, the one who saved us, the one who brings eternity into our lives, the one who leads us toward light and truth and good things that He designed in us for us to experience, or do we follow money? Materialism, the things that cause us to look away from God and to look to enhancing ourselves or experiencing the things of this world 
that can lead us into greater evil. God is saying each one has to make a decision. And look at the closing thought of that 24th verse. It's as clear as can be. You cannot serve God and money. You can't have two masters in your life. Now, you can take your money and use it as God would have you use it. Basically, when we look in Scripture, our perspective of money is really this. The money isn't mine, it's God's. I'm simply a manager. And when we use money in that way, God says you're storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. But when I look at the money and say, you know, it's mine and I will sliver off a little bit for God, if I have enough, that's a loss of perspective. God wants us to be people who value Him above everything, even the material things in our life. Now, this is the passage that I meant to read now instead of trying to bring it in earlier. Pastor gets a little confused sometimes, you know, senior moment there. I love having gray hair because I can make that excuse. So let's look at this passage of Scripture. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, this is not a new verse to many of you. I'm sure you've heard it. But what it's communicating is this. We can lose perspective by loving money above God, by making decisions that are informed by greed rather than decisions that are informed by a decision that I will be obedient to God, even if it costs me material things, I'm going to be obedient to God. That's the idea. And let me share this with you. God always cares for those who choose the path of obedience. The writer of Hebrews says this, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Money comes, money goes. God is always in our life. He's the one that we need to look to and love above money itself. You know, this passage really raises the question, do I serve God or do I serve money? Listen, if I compromise my principles, focus my thoughts and my dreams on more, if I hoard my money, I'm not using it to glorify God. On the other hand, if I look at my money and say, I am a manager of the things that God has entrusted to me, and I will use my money to glorify Him. And I live in that way, then I am serving God and making my money serve me and ultimately God. I'm not a slave to the material, but a slave to God. You know what's really amazing about this passage is this. When we think of money and hoarding and greed and all of that, a lot of times we think of just the wealthy. But I would submit to you that the way our society has conditioned us, the input from our culture, you don't have to be wealthy to be out of control when it comes to our money. 
focusing on the things that are material rather than the things that are eternal. We can be covetous, right? Man, HGTV, I'm looking at all these houses and I'm thinking, wow, right? I need one of those, you know? Easy to lose perspective. Commercials that show us the good life, right? And we look at ourselves and we compare ourselves. I had really lost perspective on that from time to time in my life. But you know what just kicked me? It's what I introduced at the beginning of the sermon when I went to India. And when I went to Kenya, and I saw people living hand to mouth, something that stood out to me was their worship through giving. In both cultures, they had a box at the front of the church. And here are people, like I said, making less in a year than I make in a week. The average salary was 700 and some dollars annual in Kenya. I asked the pastor. And you know what? When they opened it up for the opportunity to give, not in a showy manner, but in a celebra—what's uh, that word? In a celebrating way, <laughs> celebratory. There we go. Way. You saw people coming forward to put the little that they had in that box, rejoicing. It wasn't a Baptist church because many of them were dancing. And it was exciting to see their love of giving in that way. They were thrilled to worship God in that way. That's what gave me the perspective about the material. Those who had little gave a lot. So what drives you? What captivates your passion, your choices, your thoughts? Where do your imaginations go? That's where your heart is. I share this not so you can look at somebody else and say, yeah, they really need to get a perspective on this. I share this because this is something that we do as a personal inventory. Where am I in this? And there are things that I focus on that God really convicted me of as I prepared the message and thought it through that really ought not to occupy my thinking and my planning and my thoughts in the way that they do. God wants us to be people who have one master, and that master is God. Heavenly Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for the call that it gives to us all, that we need to have the right perspective, a perspective that honors and glorifies you, a perspective that focuses upon you rather than money, that makes money our servant and not our master. And so, God, I pray that as followers of Jesus Christ, we will get this right. And when we start to lose perspective, like Demas, Lord, may your Holy Spirit convict us and turn us into a different direction. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.